The Energy Matters to You podcast is a communication platform that features technologies and thought leaders working to advance energy efficiency. Energy Matters to You seeks to connect buyers with sellers so that practical, cost-effective energy efficiency and sustainable energy solutions continue to gain market traction. And now your hosts, Ron Galuli and Leo Ryan. Hello and welcome to Energy Matters to You. I'm your host here, Leo Ryan, as always with my capable colleague and partner in this, Ron Galuli. Ron, good to see you, brother. Great. Great to see you, Leo. And our guest today, I actually saw him yesterday. So Really? You're jumping right to the guest. What about you? We want to, we want to catch up on you. Are you still oh, sure. to sneak out of the office and get on the surfboard? Uh, no, I've been doing that on weekends. I did get out last Sunday. The water is still fairly warm, so uh, enjoying this late summer weather. So uh, National Grid had a little uh, gathering, made it down for that in Foxborough? Yeah, their Energy Solutions Summit. First time they've had it since 2019. The theme is beneficial electrification. The vendors that were at the show, that demographic has changed a little bit. It used to be dominated by lighting, and now you're not seeing so many lighting vendors there. But also they did have a speaker uh, in the morning talking about the grid or plans for the grid to be able to upgrade the grid to accommodate the electrification. And it's called National Grid's Future Grid Plan, and that is on their website. But, you know, when I sit there and listen to all the plans, or at least thought of plans for the grid, I just think of the siting and permitting that is associated with upgrading the grid and some of the challenges that they may face from, you know, the NIMBY part of it right? No one, everybody wants electrification, but no one wants equipment in, near their home. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the dynamic of this and how smart the grid gets and the expansion of it to accommodate for all the electrification. Yeah. And you and I have been involved in enough projects with clients where they intend to build a, a data center, or a cannabis facility, and, and there's this grid constraints in that, in that region. And then the delays that get layered on top of that, we're talking about a year or two years but before they bring in sufficient power for that for that kind of site. So imagine trying to do that across a whole community, across a whole region. Yeah, imagine trying to site two or three substage, substations in you know a city like Cambridge or something. Right, right. Like, how are you going to get that done? So we're probably going to need like net zero advisors to help the the, uh, the community deal with this, don't you think? I see a big need for net zero advisors for the customer's journey, right? Because they all have these plans, but they don't know how they're going to get there. Okay. Do you know anybody that could, uh, could illuminate this uh, subject for us? You know, I did bump into a guy yesterday. His name is Dave McDougal, and I think you used to work with him, right? McDougal, yes. Yes, sir. Welcome, Dave McDougal. It's Energy Matters to you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, what a what a relevant topic for yesterday's conversation and some of the challenges that the grid as well as customers are going to have trying to reach net zero. So thanks for having me here. Yeah, great to have you here. So Dave, why don't we why don't you just connect us into who you are, how you got here, what you know before we start digging into the net zero topic. Let's find out a little bit about you. Absolutely. So Dave McDougall, I live here in Newburyport, wife of three kids, and um, had a history working with Munters, several uh, different careers at, at Munters. Now, who's Munters? Munters is an air treatment company. They're known for um, low humidity demidification and VOC abatement. And 
in a, one of my roles, I took on sustainability for the um, for the corporation, and that combined with energy efficiency really piqued my passion towards getting more involved in carbon reduction and applying sort of my engineering background with solving for sustainability in a really practical way. So did you come to you, you you got some engineering training? I do. I went to the United States Merchant Marine Academy, became a mechanical engineer there. And so that's uh, my background with that. Okay, beautiful. So so you start that. And uh, and, then, and then in terms of your own journey in sustainability and engineering, what kind of positions have you had as you, as you, you mentioned Munters 20 years back. Give us a, right. a, the kind of breadth of experience you have. Well, as you know, Leo, I met you about 15 years ago. I took over responsibility for an emerging field being developed at a company called Enernoc. Enernoc was known primarily for demand response but they were building out this persistent commissioning, the way to use data and apply data to optimize buildings. And so my role was to run the team that optimized buildings and it really started to show a new way of doing business, right? Old style commissioning, if you will, use people to go out on site, which is still meaningful, but to be able to use data in a whole new way is what, we did at Enerdoc and that was that's fascinating. And now it's an industry, right? There's an industry where almost all new, especially buildings seeking to decarbonize, use data, monitor it, control it, and analyze the data to, to optimize buildings. So I did yeah, that. So, yep. Yeah, Dave, when you and I get started back there, one of the challenges in getting this technology approach into the marketplace was there was a, a, a limited amount of data from the buildings. Uh, that the in- engineers could interpret, right? So they're right. running data points. And then over time, what we're seeing that increasingly equipment comes with information about energy usage and that the, the building owners and operators are demanding more information from their building management systems. Exactly. And so today what happens is where there were single points of data, now there's thousands of points of data. And the new challenge is going to be, how do you manage all that data? Because now it's almost too much. You have plenty plenty of data. What you need to do is figure out how to organize it in a way to get meaningful outputs. Okay, so you get some some time in that with that uh, remote analytics, the persistent commissioning. Uh, where'd you go from there? Yes, so then I went to a company called Northern Power Systems, sold small wind turbine systems, uh, did that for, for a while, moved on to a company called Three Degrees, very well known for supporting decarbonization strategies. I actually sold green power programs to utilities. So we would package up clean energy and offer it to utilities who could then sell it back to their customers. So that was a a pretty fascinating um, experience. We worked to help develop renewable gas programs as well as renewable electric programs for utilities. After that, I moved on to a company called Resurity. They're at the forefront of data analytics when it comes to decarbonizing the grid to understand the carbon emissions impact at any given node, any given point on the grid, as well as other fascinating information around price data and trends and so forth. Beautiful. With all that experience, I realized like I've got, you know, the grid, grid power experience, energy efficiency experience, renewable energy purchasing experience that very few people had. And so when I was communicating with Munters, who has set a net zero goal by 2030, I nearly fell off my seat, even if I were standing. And I said, look, 
do you have any idea what this challenge is like? They're like, we thought it was a good idea. Like, hold on, maybe I can help. And I really, I just pivoted. And for the past year, I've been supporting in my role as a net zero advisor, supporting munters to build a 400,000 square foot brand new factory here in Massachusetts to be part of their net zero journey. The building itself will not be 100% net zero as a building, but the, it will support the net zero in that it will not produce any carbon emissions. Okay, all right. So good. So let's we get so we get you we get your background here. And tell, tell us just a, a thirty thousand feet of, of Munters. We got a big building coming. How many people? Gross revenue. Just give an idea of the scale of this company that's going after. Yes. So over four hundred people. All main like three quarters of the, those will be manufacturing jobs. The as we know the um, Investment Reduction Act. Massachusetts being a leader in um, clean tech technology, as well as the utilities having great incentives, all played a part in making a decision to stay here in Massachusetts. Keep, you know, it's kind of rare, right? It was on NPR this morning. <laughs> they announced that the Swedish company Munters is staying in Massachusetts and expanding, which is fascinating. Yeah. And part of it is they've made a commitment to net zero, right? Which costs money. Yeah. And hey, why, why, why would they do that? Why would mentors step up and, and you know, they, they're, they're, they're not uniquely in the clean tech space. So, so why is it that they want to step forward and have such an aggressive net zero target? Yes. And this is, this is a really important thing for any organization that is thinking about net zero is to understand the why. Why do organizations choose net zero? And I can tell you from, from Hunter's standpoint, there's a series of things. First of all, it's investors, right? So much as a Swedish company, sure. Their investors say, what are you doing to be net zero? They ask that question. And so as a public organization, one has to ask, if I want people to invest in my company, I certainly might want people who are asking for net zero. There are, the other pieces are, there's a compelling, compelling case that employees, attracting employees and retaining employees and engaging employees around sustainability matters. And so that also makes a big difference. And then lastly is customers. So Munter sells products to a wide range of industries, food, technology, pharmaceutical. Nearly all of their customers are choosing to be net zero because they have their customers asking and their investors asking them to be net zero. So there's a cycle that supports itself. And so Munter's is going to be showing their customers also products that help them be net zero. One of the biggest growth areas for Munters right now is supporting the lithium battery manufacturing. So EVs, grid, uh, grid storage, all today or almost always use lithium batteries. Lithium batteries are energy intensive to make and of course there's you know, precious mineral uh, issues as well. And so Everyone who's part of that process wants to demonstrate that there's a, a clean and uh, sustainable way to make lithium batteries. And so that's part of the driver for, for Munters. Dave, our, our last guest, our guest a few, a few episodes ago, Kevin Silveria, I bumped into him mm -hmm. and he was telling me he attended the, I think it was the Edison Electric Institute annual meeting. Yep, and he was there. speaking with uh, one of the big box stores there. 
and they said they're going to go from 700 kW average load for one of the stores to 7 megawatts, right? That includes fast chargers for tractor-trailer type trucks. Currently, there's been a lot of talk about storage and obviously trying to get to net zero with 7 megawatts. It seems daunting. Where do you, where do you think storage is going to fit into this? Because there's been a lot of hype about it, but it really hasn't taken off at this yeah. point. And I think it's going to be a big part of this net zero journey. Storage absolutely has to be a big part of this journey. Solar right now is growing a lot faster than wind. There's a lot of reasons why wind is constrained by siting and location where solar can be distributed across the grid. We all know the challenge with solar is its intermittency in two ways. One is day to night and the other is seasonally. In the Northeast, we only produce about a third of the same facility as we would in the summer. And so we have to have short and long-term storage. So uh, certainly things like lithium battery storage needs to be paired with renewables to, for this uh, decarbonization journey to be successful. Dave, you did a nice job laying out why Munters is stepping into this arena and committing resources to this. But if you're looking like globally across the marketplace, once the motivation has been articulated for an organization, what are some of the, the, the typical challenges, roadblocks, obstacles that uh, an organization is going to run into to get themselves to net zero? So Ron teed it up nicely when he said, look at the challenge with the grid decarbonization plan that National Grid has. That's a representative example of this whole challenge that industry is largely not prepared for this thing. And it doesn't necessarily mean technology because you think about the grid upgrades and things like that. It's about the people and the knowledge and the application and all the aspects of actually getting this work done when you think about going from 700 kilowatts to seven megawatts, that's a 10x extreme change. And so that's the scale that we need to work at. And the problem is you need a lot of people, not just specialists, right? You need the general industry to understand how to do this. And so with the Munters experience, we had to you know, as the advisor, I'm just one of many, right? There's all the Munters employees who are part of this process that are contributing. And then there's at least 10 advisors that are specialists in HVAC, lighting, compressed air, all contributing. And it's hard to find those experts. So for us to broadly grow and change and decarbonize, we need a lot of people to be these experts. It seems to be standardized and we're not there yet not by a long shot. Yeah, beautiful. Could you walk us through like the, uh, the the essential elements of a master plan? I know you've a couple of times you've leaned into getting the right people on board, but is there, I don't know, call it a formula, but like a foundational element that any organization would need to kind of put in place to track through a, a, a reasonable, defensible master plan? Absolutely. So, we all hear this term electrification, right? So the first concept that one should understand is to be net zero, you can't burn any fossil fuels on site, right? So when we think about scopes like this, scope one is what emissions are emitted on site, which is almost certainly is typically the propane for fork trucks or the natural gas for, for heating and so forth. 
So you have to eliminate that, which means you electrify. The issue is, is fossil gas is a third or less the price of electricity. So one can't just you know, electrify everything and then think my utility bill's going down. It's going to triple or more. So you need to look at everything in the context of, I have this very expensive electric resource, both from the capital as well as operating costs, and how do I optimize these things? Now, the lucky thing is there's technology solutions and there's a, an idea called right-sizing. There's a lot of waste in everything that we do, in a plant, in a factory, when energy was cheap and relatively still is, there wasn't enough attention paid to what's the right size piece of equipment, when should it be running, should, is there extra energy that I can capture? And so by going through a very detailed process of evaluating where am I today, benchmarking my facilities, benchmarking my processes against the best practice, you can foreshadow what the future could look like if you optimize your equipment. Why that's important is it has two big factors. There's a capital investment, and then there's operating uh, costs. If one were to make a master plan and said, we're going to be net zero by tomorrow, you have no idea today what those costs will be. So you start the master plan by benchmarking and assessing current state where I am. Then you can look at you don't need it to be perfect, but a plan that'll get you to a certain reduction by a certain time and then say, can we afford it? And if so, with a little bit of safety factor, I can make a commitment. So that's one thing to really lean into. The other parts to these plans are you need to, well, not, you don't need to, but you often want to put as much on-site renewables, which is typically solar, as possible. And then you need to evaluate your green energy options. Where do I purchase? Small organizations tend to purchase renewable energy credits, right? They're free, they're free, not free, they're available on the open market to purchase from vendors, where large organizations tend to do what's called the virtual power purchase agreement, which is when they still could be buying their energy from their utility, but they also buy energy remotely where they will take the renewable energy attributes of that production, and then they settle. In other words, they'll pay for the power, but they'll also get paid back. And so the net difference is what they would pay for the, the renewable energy attributes. So that part of the master plan is sort of the technical piece of balancing current state, future state, electrifying, clean energy, on-site solar, putting all those pieces together. And then, there's a whole other piece, which is who's your team? So most organizations don't have a team internally. And kind of this is where I feel like I've stepped in. I'm not one given specialist. I know enough people in the industry to bring in specialists as needed. And I know enough to help coach different roles within an organization so that they can evaluate ovens, compressed air, you know, whatever paint booths or technologically, you know, sort of get boots on the ground engineering stuff, as well as the strategic. Excellent. So Dave, we we never have enough time, right? 20 minutes is not enough to, to dive deep in the subject. So never. I, as we, as we uh, roll out, there's two things I'd like you to address. One is that, um, tell me, is the time right? Right? There's, uh, there's plenty of pressure out there, rising prices. We got uh, concerns on, around inflation. We've got, you know, uh, we've got embedded technologies. 
we've got the construction cycles that are years long. So, so why mm-hmm. is today any different? That's one thing I want you to reflect on. And then as you're doing this, think about like, who's a good candidate, right? Do you have to have 400 employees and constructing a 400,000 square foot building or there are there other, okay, who, who's ready to tackle net zero in terms of uh, corporation, municipalities, institutions, things I'd like to hear your comments on that. Okay, well, sure. So first, your first question is, is the time right? Of course, from my perspective, there's two ways to look at the time. One is one who's passionate about solving for climate change. It's an urgent issue. So yes, the time is right. But is the time right for the given um, organizations that are thinking about it? Two things to consider. One, it takes a long time to execute on this. Some things are quick, sure. But really, a, to get a good master plan in place will take, you know, the, the process of executing is a five plus year process. So starting early and understanding what your options are today make a lot of sense. Secondly, there are incentives, there are opportunities. We had an example at Munters where there was a paint booth and the two vendors said they did not want to support an electrified paint booth because it used so much energy. It was three and a half million BTUs of gas heat. They're like, you don't electrify that. A third vendor eventually emerged and said, look, we can do some things. We change from, not to get too technical, from cross-flow to downflow, half the airflow, half the heating energy. Then we did a um, right-sizing exercise. The booth was too big. Make it smaller, less air, less heat. Thirdly, they were able to figure out sort of an innovative way to recirculate most of the air. Paint booths have VOCs, it's an issue. Munters uses a low VOC paint, they actually didn't need as much air. That dropped another 75%. Then the last thing, and Munters makes this technology, is we put heat exchangers. The air coming in on a cold day will cross the exhaust air, will recover 75% of the heat. The net result was 10% energy of the total amount that was originally designed for is being consumed. So if you think about the math for a second, right, the uh, gas is a third the price, but when you go to 10%, now we're about a third the cost. So we got amazing wins there. And that is on top of the fact that you can get IRA. In some cases, you can get actually get incentives and you can get utility incentives help pay for things. So big capital projects, the time is right here and now for sure. Even if you're not even considering the climate impacts, you can think about the cost impacts because those are available to you. Yeah, that's a great story. And, and David does illustrate, and, and you've got the technical skill set to, to back it up about how effectively pushed into the corner, the engineers had to dig in deep, reevaluate the process. And instead of just saying, that's the way we've always done it, they come out with a net process that moves them closer to net zero and has a 10% usage of, of, of energy. Well, historically, so it's a brilliant solution. And a, and a funny thing that happened yesterday, I was literally at this, at this uh, National Grid Energy Summit. MBTA stood up and said, we didn't know what to do with our paint booth, so we're leaving it as is. I ran and reached that person and said, did you know? Yeah. So now this paint booth provider who went through 27 iterations of design to help Munters get what they wanted has a new product to offer, and we're going to 
gladly introduce them to MBTA so they Great. can. And energy matters to will be critical at communicating this to the marketplace at, at large. There's no other way to do it. Right? There's no other way. Where this is the fulcrum that makes that happen. Yep. Now, are you yeah, that, preamble is. Sorry, that's a that's a great story of beneficial electrification, thinking out of the box, yeah. as Leo mentioned. Scrap that traditional thinking, reevaluate, and everybody wins. Hey, so Dave, somebody wants to get in touch, what do they do? Dave at McDougallEnergyAdvisors.com. If that's the right thing, absolutely. But you also asked, and I'll be brief because you said 15 minutes is, or 20 minutes is short. I could pretty much work. The good news about the way I'm working as an individual is I don't have a large organization. I have different people that I can connect with that help bring in the right team for the right people. So I'm working with a multinational organization right now. And I'm also in conversations with several small municipalities who are also looking for this support. So got a lot of flexibility and obviously glad to have a conversation with anybody who's got questions just to help out if that's all it takes. Well, Dave McDougall, always a pleasure. We've crossed over. Thanks for your work in general in the energy world. And uh, congratulations on taking on this really uh, important problem. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to do it. And I'm so glad to have the opportunity to spend some time with you this afternoon. Pleasure. Thanks, Ron and Leo. So, Ron, what do we what do we got with uh, podcast guests coming up or with the... Uh, yeah. So, uh, interestingly enough, I did have several conversations yesterday. So, Matt Tuttleman from Power is interested in being on the podcast again with a refresh on his services because a lot of things have changed in the DR world. So he'd like to give us an update on that. And I believe we'll be recording Zach Green soon. Zach was formerly a meteorologist at uh, WBZ Channel 4 and now is entering into the clean tech sustainability space. So we're going to talk about climate change and his journey from meteorologist to looking in the, for opportunities in the clean tech space. That's great. That's great. great. Excited to have both those folks on. In fact, uh, Matt was with us. Dave was with us. We we get some energy nerds together and need him a couple of weeks ago. That we was did. a fun evening. Yeah. Good, good. It's a good All industry right. to be in. Let's close this out here. Uh, energy matters to you. Uh, Dave McDougall has been our guest. So wonderful to have you. So as we always say, there's work to be done. Go make a difference. Support for Energy Matters to You comes from National Grid. Raytheon, Siemens, Keurig Dr. Pepper, Eversource, Mitsubishi Electric Train HVAC US, AHA Consulting Engineers, GDS Associates, QGM Consulting, Acela Energy Group, B2Q Associates, Lidos, Conservation Solutions Corporation, Energy Management Associates Incorporated, and FMC Technologies. Do you or someone you know want to be featured on Energy Matters to You? We're seeking professionals in the energy industry to offer insight, strategy, and solutions. For more information, visit aeenewengland.org slash podcasts. For more information on the Association of Energy Engineers New England chapter, visit aeenewengland.org.